0: By Jerry to begin coming up. So, in all that we'll talk about this morning, uh, as it turns out, the legacy of colonialism in Canada with respect to our Indigenous people impacts severely the many areas of daily life, and healthcare systems is one a huge one. So, I uh, many of you would know Jerry Chen, and you may know he's a, a doctor in Vancouver Coastal Health. And so we were chatting and I heard some of his stories from the past year. And so I wanted to invite you, Jerry, to come share. Thank you for being here.
1: during training in Winnipeg, in med school. uh, I I did not learn a lot, but I was exposed. I I did not go to a lot of indigenous patients, particularly in the inner uh, city in Winnipeg. And I saw a lot of suffering, um, you know, in terms of alcoholism, in terms of feeling very sad and and wonder wonder how this could be. Um, And then over the last couple of years, you know, there's a lot of stories in the media about racism against uh, indigenous people.
2: And, and you, Mike, last summer
1: uh, hosted this um, wonderful uh, panel discussion uh, about how Jesus can reach across uh, boundaries of race, uh, reach across culture, because his love and his salvation is for all of us. Mm-hmm. And I remember th- listening to that. And as I, as I was listening to it, uh, I feel convicted uh, in how little I know. Um, even though I live in this beautiful land, uh, you know, a traditional territory uh, of, of the indigenous people, I feel like, how can I be, how can I be a good neighbor and, and love neighbor when I don't know anything? Um, and so afterwards, I, I immediately reached uh, out to my friend, uh, Mike McDonald, who many of you know. Uh, Mike uh, is an indigenous Christian, and uh, we had a long chat. Uh, and 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 you know I, I apologized to him uh, for my ignorance, and I and I um, we we together sort of planned out how I can be educated, and that's when I eventually signed up to this course, which is a um, it's put on by Vancouver Coastal Health. Uh, it's a very in-depth course on cultural safety uh, for uh, healthcare professionals, and and through it I, I I learned a lot, and and I think it's
0: it's very influential for me. Yeah. Yeah. So actually. It was interesting when I heard that trans- transition and that, that desire to learn. And so I then I heard you took the course. I wanted to ask, what did you learn uh, personally and professionally that helped you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe there's a slide oh, uh, that yeah. might appear yeah. that will help us speak to that.
1: Yeah, I think I think Canada as as a country has been very bad to the Indigenous people for hundreds of years. you say 160 years. And, and, and I think through this systematic uh, assimilation process, it really destroyed a lot of their culture and destroyed generations of, of their people. And I think that's, that's reflected in many ways, but in healthcare, you can see that in, in this uh, slide, uh, you know, infant mortality rate is, is high, uh, their uh, 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 alcoholism-related uh, uh, hospitalization, suicide rates, uh, mental mental health, uh, really, you, you know, their, their life expectancy is much shorter than you and I. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look at, uh, you know, their living conditions, many live in, in overcrowded places uh, where there's no safe running water, you I know, I, you look at these facts and you go, well, how can this be? In, a Canada, in Canada, in a country like ours, yeah. how can this be? Um, mm-hmm. So I, um, for me, you know, after learning these facts, I, I feel... Uh, you know, I want to be more culturally sensitive and I think, I think uh, it changed my the way I, I look at uh, people especially the indigenous people uh, when I come, come in contact with the patients uh, to be, you know, I want to build uh, trust through just mutual understanding and, and dialogue and, and, and I think empathy, um, uh, yeah, so those are the things that I, I've learned and I think I, I, through this process over the last year I think I've become a better
0: a better doctor a better person Mm. Um, yeah yeah i'm just so thankful for your humble journey and your willingness to learn um it's such a good role model for all of us at this church and in in your profession so thanks for doing that so just as we end i wonder if you'd comment what do you think god is saying to us collectively uh, as the church and even as granville chapel on these matters
1: yeah well i think i think god is loving and god is just and I think Jesus' heart, he breaks for, his heart breaks for, for the indigenous people and their suffering. And I think as Christians, um, you know, we all come from very different backgrounds. Uh, you know, I think the first thing is to be introspective and look at ourselves for you know, any you know, biases or, or misconceptions that we may have, and, and then to, to learn, to learn um, about their culture, learn about their suffering and their history. Uh, you know to live in this to live in this uh, place, and you know what a privilege it is. Yeah. Uh, I think Jesus wants us to you know love our neighbor, and I think that that's the first step. To know our neighbor, mm. uh, and then from then and moving on to um, you know perhaps uh, stand uh, for uh, uh, you know uh, healing. I think that's a, that's a big uh, step uh, yeah. to to ab- be advocates for healing and to. Be advocates for for justice i think that's what jesus wants us to do yeah.
0: good words amen thank you jerry <laughs> thanks for being with us we can even give a round of applause <laughs> um, yeah so good to hear how you and have been learning and we can follow that model in our church um, the next voice we're going to hear um, actually i'll invite you to come up john Uh, I'll introduce you to John Johnstone and um, I over this uh, last few months have started to know a little bit more about Inner Hope. Um, So John you have uh, joined some of the work of Inner Hope over the last few years and if you didn't know uh, Yari on worship uh, she's also part of Inner Hope and I met Jenny Schantz, who you're going to hear from in a moment. So uh, yeah, welcome. John, why don't you just tell us a bit about who you are and um, personally and uh, who you are as you come to us today.
2: So, hello, Jack. First of all, I'd like to start off and uh, yeah, who, who am I? Uh, my grandfather is Ernie Lewis from uh, Nooksack. And uh, before the, to us, imaginary line that is now there, Nooksack, Le Camel, and Sumas were all one nation. And so, my grandfather is Ernie Lewis from Nooksack. My grandmother is Anna Williams from Scowlitz. And my mother is uh, Dorothy Lewis from LaCamel. Le and I am John from LaCamel. And uh, from that kind of an introduction in the communities, uh, it's more important that you know where I am from and uh, who I am from, because then you will know how I should be, and if I'm not being that way, you could challenge me. So if I come up here and I say, hello, my name is John. I work with uh, Inner Hope Youth Ministries and, and uh, Multiply, our mission sending agency. Then that's my Juanitam introduction. The first one is my Homoch, which is uh, people of the land. Also in saying people of the land, uh, we are Coast Salish here. Uh, I want to uh, acknowledge and thank you for the acknowledgement of the land and the people that have stewarded it well for so long, and also to that as being co-salish. Uh, we know that uh, in our house, in our households, that we uh, control what happens in our households for the most of it. So if we invite someone into our house, there we're inviting them in. To our house usually for a meal, for coffee for a relationship or, or whatever it might be but if someone was to walk down the street and walk up the driveway, up the front steps open the door up because it wasn't locked, walk upstairs to the kitchen and just walk into the house to the kitchen and sit down at the table and wait for a meal and then the wife comes down the hallway and she's just like who are you? I'd be like, well, I'm John, and uh, I'm waiting for breakfast. And she says, I think you need to leave my house. And I'm like, well, I'm kind of bigger than you are, so I'm not going to do it. And then the husband comes down, and he's just as surprised. And he's like, who are you? I'm like, well, I'm John. And in case you didn't notice, I'm 6'2 and 275 pounds, so I'm bigger than you are. And uh, he says, you need to leave my house. And I'm like, not going to do it. I'm hungry and I'm here for breakfast. So in that whole conversation, and in that whole thing that just transpired, there is very little relationship. But what, what is created out of those transactions or whatever you call them, is what is now the covering that is kind of over that household. And if you were to take that covering and spread it from the household to what what is going on in the neighbor's house and how are they acting and responding, because there's a spiritual covering that covers that too. So then we go from our neighborhood to our city, from our city, to our province, from our province to our country. And uh, what was just shared here is how could this be happening in Canada? Mm. Uh, Those words that were spoken here earlier, how can this be happening in Canada? And I heard 160 years. Well, that might be a residential school thing, but a residential school is just such a small piece of what the journey of it has been for the First Nation people here since the newcomer was found lost, wandering on the shoreline, starving, and invited in for a meal. Hmm. The whole story has been horrible for the First Nation people for 450, 500 years. So going back to my first little part of the story, For 450 years, how have the First Nation people been treated here on this land that they are the host people of? And if they have been treated in such a way as that, what is it that has become our spiritual covering over this land? It has become exactly what was said earlier as to how can we believe this is happening here. It's because we are veiled, because the enemy has been winning for so long. Mm -hmm. So with all those words that I have spoken... It's to share about how important is it to be welcomed into the house. When you welcome people in here, when you welcome people into your house, you have the authority to do that. I carry the authority to welcome people to this land because I have amel, Stolo, Coast Salish blood that flows through me. The Creator has put us here first and tasked us to steward the land well. The air, the water, the fish, the birds, the animals, four-legged to steward all that. And in doing that, it gives us an authority to be here. So with that authority, and I am now cautious as to who I invite to this beautiful land. So I use the words, those of you that are here and on the TV screens that want to journey well and be a good neighbor with a good mind and a good heart, on this land, I welcome you to this land. And I would say it in the, la- in, in, in the language of the land. <speaking in Hebrew> welcome to this land, the sacred land created by the Creator, this beautiful land. Welcome to the land, <speaking in> hait <Hebrew> Let's not Sorry worry
0: about, about that. that. No, no, this is, this is so good, John. I mean, we've chatted ahead of this, but I knew uh, that you were just going to come and speak the words the Spirit were giving you. You've been speaking to churches across Canada, I think, for years. Um, and even just to hear you welcome us in a in your traditional language that has been a language spoken for thousands of years, it's, it just feels new to my ears, and yet uh, sort of very welcoming. So I, it's just such a good reminder, uh, that, that story of host. So let's, let's hang on this moment of history for a bit. As you've been speaking to churches and you're here today among us, what do you wish that we knew from history of this 500-year painful history that we knew and cared about as Christians right today? What do you wish we knew?
2: So much of who... I think the Father, Son and Holy Spirit are is uh, truth. God the Father, God, the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So much that they are and that comes from them and that is in them and through them is truth. So to the churches and to this church, I would say, start to know and understand what the truth is, what is true history? What is the past of this country? The past. And how important is it that we begin to start to understand that and know that and journey with that? Methods and theologies. There's something about always knowing where you come from. Uh, Knowing where you come from, if you're out on your journey and you're going hunting, uh, often you'll turn around and look as to where you have been so that when you're returning, it looks familiar to you. So there's this thing about always knowing where you're from. But there's also this kind of part that says uh, where I am from and knowing that well helps me understand how I've gotten to where I am. And once I know where I am, I can then take a good step forward, or maybe a couple good steps forward. That's kind of an indigenous way of thinking. But in our Everybody else way of thinking that has come here, it seems like we're always reaching so far out for the future to see how can we get to the future and get there well. But the thing with that is is there is nothing in the future that has gotten us to where we are today. But there is everything in the past that has brought us to where we are. So when we understand where we've been, it helps us to know where we are. And now that we know where we are, we can begin to move forward. So if we never understand what the true past is, it'll be very, very difficult for us to journey forward as good neighbors. So to me, that word would be truth, know the truth. In reconciliation, the word that gets used so much, that has so much emptiness to it because it's been used so much, it's almost like the word love. There are deep, deep, deep loves the deep kind of love that the Father had for the Son that allowed the sacrifice of the Son going to the cross to be so big that it atones for all our sins. That's a big love. I asked uh, at a youth group one time, I asked a young fellow, how many people, anyone know how many people are in the world? And the one guy put his hand up and he said, it's over 7 billion people. 7 billion people a- and more. But that love needs to be so grand that the Father had for the Son that it atones for all those sins. That's a big love. And then the other kind of big love is the love where the Spirit loved the Son so much through the power of the Father. After those three days, he raises the Son up. That's a powerful love that raises people from the dead. But then we use the word so much. We love all kinds of stuff. My wife loves our little dog. I don't like it. (laughs) But my wife loves our little dog, and she loves our ducks that we have. And, of course, we love our children. That's a good love. But there's so many things that we love. And then I get down to this thing where I, I end up saying, you know, I love a good cheeseburger on the barbecue. You know, when you got that cheeseburger on there and you put the cheese on it and it's melting and you got a couple strips of bacon beside it and and you're making this cheeseburger and you're like, oh, I love a good cheeseburger. But that's part of the deal. Cheeseburger love, that love for the cheeseburger, that's not the kind of love that is going to enter our hearts, that is going to change our relationships to allow us to journey together well. Cheeseburger love won't get us there. It's the love of the father that he had for the son that raised him up. It's that kind of love. And it's it's uh it's powerful. Not sure how I got there, but that was a good little r it was a good little rant, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, so I, I would really like to share a little bit about that. So um I just okay. There we go, but I uh, I don't read as well as many people do. Actually, I don't even like reading, so to read the Bible is kind of difficult. And I know you have to read the Bible because that's how you be a good. Oh come, there we go again. Maybe I'll just start yelling in my big host voice. (laughs) But yeah, you need to read the read the Bible. So, I kind of asked Creator, "Could you speak to me in different ways? Could you speak to me in ways that are uh, maybe my wife? Share with me your uh, wisdoms through my wife, through my children, through um, nature, through all kinds of things and he did he uh he did agree to do that because he does speak to me in different ways, so I was kind of asking him on because I don't read the Bible enough, I said, God, if there was something that was in there, like if we were to put the Bible in a big boiling pot and put it in there and leave it in there for quite some time and just boil it and boil it and boil it and then leave it on simmer and allow it to simmer for a while, what would be, what is it that comes up, uh, what would be, what is it of the Bible after it has been boiled and simmered for so long? And he didn't answer me right away. I'm not quite sure why that was, but he let me sit with that for a little bit. And he just kept, just let me sit with it. Yeah, just let me sit with it for a little while. And then finally I asked him again, Creator, what is what is what is it that comes up? And what was it was that he told me was, uh, it was like, well, John, what would come out of oh, the Bible would be salvation. How salvation is even obtainable or in existence. And then how to maintain it. How to obtain it. Maintain it. And definitely what church should be all about. How do we share it? Share it with the world. Share it with those 7 billion people. Salvation. So I was like, well salvation, that's quite the, if that's the word that's coming out, there's got to be some real greatness to the Word. So I asked him if he could expand on the word salvation a little bit for me. And then he started to share with me that salvation, how, how is it obtainable? How has it even happened? And then so, as he was sharing with me on that, he started to tell me that the Creator himself, God, is not capable of of bringing salvation into existence all by himself. And I was like, are you sure you're allowed to say that? And then he said that Jesus, as awesome as he is, is not able to bring salvation into existence all by himself. And then the Holy Spirit, all by himself, or whatever he or she is, but the Holy Spirit, by himself, is not able to bring salvation into existence. But how salvation came to be birthed into existence was that the Father had a beautiful story, a beautiful plan. And it started with creating. He created all things. And once he created all things here on this planet, he had a garden. And in the garden, it was good. Everything was good that he created. And then he created man. And out of man he created woman. And then he told them, all is good. Eat from the garden. Anything you want except for that tree. And then because man did not stand strong beside his woman, the serpent came and tricked the woman. And she ate of that tree, bit the fruit, and passed it to the man. And the man bit it. And because of biting the fruit that they were commanded not to eat, out of disobedience, sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, what God had created was good, and now it was stained with sin. So God needed to bring it back to rightnessness. Rightnessness, that's a fun word. But he needed to bring it back to rightnessness. And to do that, there had to be a sacrifice. And I already shared that the sacrifice had to be big enough to atone for all our sins. If I had something in my pocket maybe even if it was just a $2 bill that we don't have anymore. How about a toonie? If I had a toonie in my pocket and I said, I'm going to sacrifice this toonie, it's not something that I greatly love, so it's not much of a sacrifice. If it's not much of a sacrifice, it doesn't carry much power. So again, the father had to greatly love the son for that power to happen. So the father greatly loves the son. The son is completely uh, sinless. And in his obedience goes to the cross to be the sacrifice, to be able to bring the world back into rightnessnessness. But out But out of being fully man and being fully God, when he went to the cross, he became fully dead. And that could be the end of the story. But thankfully, it's not. Because through the love of the Holy Spirit and the power of God, three days later, Jesus is raised up. And sin is defeated, death is conquered, and we now have this ability to spend eternity with the Father. Salvation is birthed into existence through God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, being in tremendous, deep relationship, relationship. And not just being in tremendous deep relationship, but that relationship has to have incredible components of powerful love. Love covering relationship births salvation into existence. So then, and this is where the song came from, I was telling Priscilla about. So then, how do we as newcomers come to this land and say... I will build my church, and there is nothing and nobody that will stop me. And we do. We build churches, and we build lots of them, and we fill them. And once they are full inside them, we worship. And when we worship, we put our arms in the air. Unless you're from a Mennonite brother in church like I am, then you usually just stand there. And we worship. And we say, oh, Lord, we love you. We worship you because you and you alone are worthy to be praised. We ask that you would pour a blessing upon us that we could be a blessing to those that are around us whilst we stand on the heads of the host people of this land. And I am confident that the Creator is up there in heaven eating his Philly cream cheese, saying that is not relationship that births salvation into existence relationship 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 is key so as a church how important is it that uh, we be in relationship with the host people and is it just a thing about being in relationship with the host people not really but there are host people all around the world every one of us is a host person to, is a host person to some land we all have a place we call our motherland We are the host people of that land, and we have the right and the authority to invite people in. So how important is relationship? How important is reconciliation? The word reconciliation, when I look it up, it means going back to right relationship. So in the context of this conversation uh, with the host people of the land and the newcomers, when we talk about reconciliation, The indigenous people or the First Nation people of this land will say that the word is irrelevant. Because by definition it means going back to right relationship. Going back to right relationship. And they would say that there never was a right relationship here to go back to. When Christopher Columbus was found lost wandering on the shoreline, starving and hungry and invited in for a meal at that point of invitation, there was right relationship. But shortly after that, there were seen resources on the land that he wanted, that they wanted, that they wanted to bring back to their motherland. And all of a sudden, all relationship was destroyed. So relationship, going back to right relationship, pretty much never was. So our elders were smart enough when they thought about the TRC for going across Canada, one very important word there, truth. Without truth, there can be no reconciliation. So they put truth in front of it. Many indigenous people will say that conciliation is a good word. We need to understand what the past is, but there's no good relationship to go back to, so let's take the re part off. So we're not going back to a right relationship, but we're going to understand what relationship was, and then we're going to come together for now in this space and time, and we're going to figure out from what was to what is, to how do we begin to take a good step forward. But I like the term rightnessness of relationship. Rightnessness of relationship, because I really feel that the Creator is saying, when there is no rightnessness in your relationships, I cannot pour out my righteousnessness upon you. Righteousnessness. Those are fun words. <laughs> But when there's no rightnessness in a relationship and he cannot pour out his righteousnessness upon us, many of us will think, well, I'm not sure what you're saying, John, because truly, truly, I am so blessed and comfortable here in this land that obviously God has poured out his righteousness upon me. Today I sat at my comfortable kitchen in my comfortable chair. It's actually, I use my Zoom, Uh, my kitchen as my Zoom office, so I do have a comfortable chair there. And I sat on my comfortable chair at my comfortable kitchen at my comfortable house and had a comfortable chair at my comfortable kitchen and coffee. And then I got on my comfortable vehicle and drove it to this comfortable church to hear a somewhat uncomfortable message. Truly, truly, Lord, I am so comfortable. You have poured out your righteousness upon me. But my problem with that statement is that I have a hard time finding in the Bible where it says, Pick up your cross daily and follow me and you will be comfortable. But I can find a story that is a beautiful plan and story where the Creator loved His Son so much that the love carried the power to raise Him from the dead, to be a big enough sacrifice to cover all our sins. So rightness of relationship is critical. We as the church cannot push people to the side. Rightness of relationship. It's key.
0: Hmm. Thank you, John. So, so good what you've spoken out of God's truth and pointing to right relationship and how we have to know, as a church, somewhere in our history, and we've been part of wrong relationship. Such a good call back to that. And it's painful to me that, as the church, globally, we came up with stuff like the doctrine of discovery that said, wherever you go, if you find a people that's not Christian, you can do what you want. You can take their stuff. Because, again, this is ripped out of relationship, right? So, we could go on and on about actual historical events, but I love how you've tied it to the creator's better way of let's do relationship. If we had been doing relationship, we never would have even thought of residential schools. How could we try to, you know, in the words of these creators of it, to to kill the Indian, to save the child, like, it just... In a way, I'm thankful for all these revelations coming to light, because it's just, it's just sobering us to say we can't keep living in co- ignorant comfort when, when so many are daily affected by what our history has been, so... Thank you.
2: Rich,
0: I just... Um, actually, wanted to... I mean, if we have a bit of time. I just wanted to ask, is there any question from the congregation gathered? Uh, if you would have any question for John that would help you feel would ask and if you say it I'll repeat it and if not that's okay too just give a moment is there any one question you might have
2: I actually asked that we could ask questions because I felt uh, that if I was able to be here and that if we could share in conversation through questions that it's inviting the relationship part of what is so greatly needed so Uh, Edwin I I I saw your hand up questions
0: Right, so the question is, for John, what do you do with Inner Hope and how could uh, Edwin or anyone get more involved?
2: Uh, my journey started with Inner Hope because uh, I actually, uh, out in the, in the valley there, I sit at the table for Lower Fraser Valley Aboriginal Society and we do a lot of the same things that Inner Hope is doing here in the city, in uh, reaching out to the uh, First Nation youth and trying to bring culture and programs and, uh, and uh, the good news. And uh, I had met Jenny through speaking at a church, uh, Jenny Shantz, who runs uh, Inner Hope. And uh, when I started sharing with her and I started hearing her share, I was just like, you guys just do so much that is the same that we are trying to do in Langley and so many of the same things. And then I met her a couple more times and we kept sharing. And I was just like, we just do so many of the same things. There has to be something that we can journey in. Uh, together and then finally one day uh, after saying that to her a few times she, she on a phone call or what in a meeting or whatever it was she goes I think I figured it out uh, as Inner Hope Youth Ministries they didn't start out being a First Nation program but they're like probably like 90 90 percent ish of the youth that are there have some First Nation blood in them and uh, she said that we would we would be uh, honored if you would come and journey with us and be a cultural mentor and bring culture to the uh, to the youth bring culture the they have a, a home where they have four rooms that um, youth that are struggling on the street and have nowhere to live can can come and live and then uh, kinda of be guided into uh, a right way a good way of living and uh, and then they have the house that they run a bunch of programs out of and uh, do a bunch of activities uh, in and uh, from there and it was just uh could you bring culture to the to the to the meetings to the staff meetings could you bring culture just help us to understand and journey well be a good neighbor with those that we're trying to serve and then exactly uh, how to serve yeah, that would be a question that Jenny would be able to answer well or perhaps yeah. uh, Amy and Mark. Those are some of the people that are in some of the lead roles there. But the, the, the whole uh, to journey well, it means that we have to come together. So simply coming together and, and being a part of and, and journeying with it in, in whatever capacity is available. Is uh, is a yeah. step towards rightnessness of relationship.
0: We're we're about to uh, after this in worship. We'll hear from Jenny a little bit on a video, so she'll say a bit to how people could get involved. Uh, I'll, one more question, if there is one, Jerry. So the question is, how can, or can, or how can indigenous folks trust the church again when all these atrocities have been done in the name of the church, with the church?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think uh, when a wound is that big and that deep, that there needs to be a carefulness and a cautiousness on how how it is cleaned, and how it is uh, dressed. And so, um, with so much pain brought in the name of the church, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, a big component of that, though, I would say would be the church. With so much pain brought by the church, and most of your, the communities out there will not see denominations, but they will see church, mm-hmm with most of that pain brought through the church that there could be a time uh, out in the future where we are able to uh, sit together and journey together. But in saying that, the sitting together and journeying together probably won't start within the building. And it won't start from programs that the building is putting on in the building. And it will be more so I I joke around often and I say that uh, Jesus actually said, now go out into the world and make disciples. He didn't say uh, sit in the back row until you're up to the front row and you're a good church person. Actually get out of the building and go out and make disciples. And then he also said, he didn't say go out and make denominations that we kind of get hung up on also, but just plain and simple and make disciples journey with those out there, and uh, it might not for a long time come to the point where we are journeying together within the church, but even to say that the church is not the building, the church is the people, so when the you know I could say yes the the indigenous people would uh, journey with the church as the people, but the building does carry a lot of heaviness to it, so why? try to make them come to the building, uh, meet them in their communities, and uh, try to uh, change the power structures and dynamics that are going on. For a white male pastor to come to a community carries an awful lot of power. Uh, My friend Derek, who has been doing ministry in, in Ontario for about nine years, when he does these, and he calls them faith circles, So that's the difference of uh, changing some of the power dynamic right there. As church, we would want to call it a Bible study because that's what it is. But in a community, why use that word if that word is something that troubles them, if the same outcome happens, if we just call it a faith circle? Because Indigenous do a lot of things in circles. So let's do a faith circle. And then the, the engagements usually happen because he's talking with someone from the community that he ends up praying for and they feel the power of God or the Son and the Holy Spirit and they want to start the the conversation and he says well let's let's there's stories in this book that talk about that that's us uh, he doesn't say let's meet at the church or in the church basement let's meet at your house and then let's not meet with my friends my white friends and my white settlers and bring them to to one person but let's change the power dynamic and let's say let's meet at your house and not only meet at your house but hey what if you had some of your family are they interested in knowing any of these stories about healing and and great stuff that is done so he, he would go to their house and then absolutely because he is the white male pastor as soon as he gets to the house and invited in And they usually end up sitting in the living room, he says. He says the first thing they say to him, and this is because of years of teaching, not because of who they are and brought up through their culture. But they tell him, oh, pastor, you sit over here in the big comfy chair. How come? Because he's the white male pastor, Christian. So he deserves the seat of power. But he says, when I come into a room, he says, I look around and I find a spot on the floor. And he says, I sit on the floor because I'm trying to change that power dynamic. I want them to be comfortable at their place. And they have more friends there than I do. Then the word of God can be shared in a much more powerful way. And he'll always say, "Uh, no, how about we let the children sit in the comfortable chair? That the children should have the big comfy chair. Just invite more of the family into the conversation of this faith circle. So change some of the words, change some of the dynamics, change some of the, the power that is actually going on there. As the Juanitam community, we carry so much power. Hmm. There's a whole teaching on that.
0: It sounds a lot like what Jesus did. Zacchaeus, I need to come to your house today with your friends. and. Yeah, so good. Well, thank you for your questions. Thank you for sharing. And I think uh, appropriate response is now worship and prayer. So, uh, Yare, Tiago, can you come lead us? The one element that's uh, pre-recorded this morning is Jenny Shantz from Inner Hope, uh, who's off on the island seeing her dad for the first time after a long time. So, bless her. And uh, now we'll listen to Jenny sharing a bit more about her work and how we could potentially engage as Granville Chapel Jenny, I'm really thankful you could come in and share with us at Granville Chapel today as we are talking about National Indigenous Peoples Day and the community of inner hope that you come from. I'd love to hear from your point of view. Just tell us what you would about that.
3: Yeah, well, thanks, Mike. Um, Yeah, it's really great to be here and and Granville Chapel has been a huge support of the ministry at Inner Hope uh, for a decade now, which is uh, a really neat milestone to know that you've been behind us and uh, fin- financially supporting us monthly, and we've had board members and staff from your church a part of our community, so. Um, but yeah, Inner Hope really grew out of some relationships in the inner city. Um, my uh, roommate and I had been uh, part of an inner city church, been uh, part of an, and um, the youth group uh, was diverse, but over time grew to be largely indigenous youth. And uh, um, yeah, this was here in East Vancouver. So it started, it was a storefront on Main and Broadway. And then commercial drive. Um, but uh, yeah, so began volunteering with them and then began, became their youth director and the, need, the needs of the young people were just um, really large. And it, a lot of it stemmed from the residential school legacy here um, on Turtle Island, which is um, an indigenous name for North America. And, um, and so there were a number of generations that were taken away as children um as many of you know that we're in these schools and so um after you know a few generations the impacts the trauma of that um became interwoven and and the amount of abuse that happened um you know just led to a lot of uh, had a lot of ripple effects and um and then in combination there was the reserve system that our government imposed there was a lot of poverty um a lot of racism and so these young people faced a lot of really, really big obstacles um, to having a, a stable childhood and, and and growing up years. And we just thought like, how can we be um, a part of healing in relationship and a part of resourcing and journeying with? Um, and I just thought, you know, it just seemed like if their load is so big, could some of us share that load to lighten it? Is there a way to um, be on this journey together? And uh, um, and so, actually, there was a tragedy—a um, gal that we had supported for a number of years that died in a stolen car crash when she was 19. And um, and uh, it really, it really, like, uh, we had had a number of young deaths, and it just really seemed like um, there needed to be more resources for these more youth. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so we launched Inner Hope in 2007 and, um, moved into a, a, Vancouver special, uh, where we could have up to five young people stay with us if they were in transition and just needing some, a supportive, stable home. Um, and, and just our door was just, I mean, kids were in and out, family members, friends, um, you know, I, yeah, just dozens of young people often a week coming in and out of our, out of the home. And then we realized, you know, um, Carla and I definitely cannot, uh, provide the adequate mentoring and support needed for these youth. And, and, and with World Vision Canada's support, we, we were able to launch a teen mentoring program that could match youth one-on-one with mentors. We thought, what if there were some a- more adults in the community that were willing to invest in one youth and build that, build a connection and just, and we could set goals and, and work on practical things, help them open their first bank account or get their first job or, or just, um, you know, as they got into their older high school years, if their parents hadn't graduated or didn't have a high education, you know, somebody to help them navigate those last years of high school and applications into college and, um, um, and if the family didn't have a vehicle, maybe to help them get a driver's license to open more doors for, for jobs. A lot of times the guys would often be in the construction field and even some of the girls too. And, uh, and, and having a job on a construction site or a, a license, sorry, a driving license, um, is an asset. So just lots of, lots of ways we could come alongside in very practical ways. And, um, so it's, we, we now have a second home so that the housing, is separate in in a home with house parents, and um, there's room for four youth, and and that's um, and and the ability to support those young people and their their families and friends um, in that home, and then the other the original home. It now has um, offices in the bedrooms and a community space where we can have meals, and mentors can cook cook dinners with their mentee or. Um, Plant the back garden, and
0: uh, it's really deep in relationship, is what well. sounds like you've been able to put together over these years.
3: Yeah, yeah, actually, hope through relationships is our tagline, um, and I and John, I know, it speaks a lot of about um, relationships and uh, and uh, the fact that you know God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, even even God is. As we understand him, is is a relationship of three, Um, and uh, and so just that importance of how we 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 need each other, and uh, and God honors uh, relationships and works through relationships, and um, so yeah, we're just on a journey with these young people, and um, sometimes it includes tragedy, um, tragic deaths, um, young people who lose. Parents to an overdose, or um, the impacts of diabetes in their late 50s, or um, just, you know, various uh, various challenges. Um, parents who have numbed their pain through addiction and, and just have been through so much trauma that um, it's a struggle to be able to to, to parent in, in, in ways that their young people need and, and so being able to partner with families and, and share pieces that, that, that we can and, and, uh, that, that, that we can mentor and support and, um, to, so that young people can, can begin to really develop to their potential and, and flourish. So we actually have, um, one of our, our gals that's uh, been around since near the beginning, actually we knew her before we started our Hope, but she is um, currently at Trinity Western University and, uh, and interning with us this summer. Um, and so we, one of our staff, actually our community manager, was a youth who came through my doors when he was 14, and now he is um, helping to, to manage um, a lot of the, the frontline. Ministry so um, it's just been amazing to to kind of be part of the journey and
0: uh, I can see the joy on your face as you talk about these successes and yeah, yeah. but it's been a long road right
3: yeah and I, and I think they they all there's there's so many levels of of success and so many beautiful moments and some of them um, are are in a very Desperate situations, or, you know, or even when you're doing a jail visit and they talk to you about their favorite Bible verse and, you know, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And I'm like, I, I'm down at, I'm down at the jail getting my, my fill of, um, of uh the gospel here you well, know how, how appropriate
0: uh, since the bible was written so much from jail
3: <laughs> that's isn't that's that so true? true yeah that's so yeah true. and in all
0: that you're sharing and what we're speaking about this morning is this so important reconciling work that canada is grappling with and which the church is i think you're saying inviting us to deeply engage with this work mm-hmm. um so important and important for all of us
3: yeah. And one of the tragedies is that so many children are in the foster care system right now that like who are indigenous. And so in BC, six about sixty-five percent of children in care are indigenous, even though they only make up about eight percent of the population. And that's a reminder that that in order for these kids to stay connected to family, we need to be resourcing families um, rather than just removing again. Be- System and um, and so yeah. If any of you are interested in, in mentoring, we would love mm. to have. Right now, it's heartbreaking when you see teenagers that are willing and and hope you know hoping for a mentor, um, and yet mentoring is completely different in this context. And and sometimes you really have to f- to prove um, yourself trustworthy in these relationships. And the first year or two often is uh, is that. Climbing a mountain and, and and building that trust, but when those relationships are formed, um, and you finally um, gain those bonds, amazing things can happen. So if you're if you're interested, um, uh, Yari um, or we call her Priscilla actually, uh, Priscilla um, is uh, our volunteer coordinator, and she'd love to to sign you up. And we also have the ride for refuge coming up. Um, in early October. And so if you um, ride a bike and would like to, or, or just wanna do something creative, uh, there's creative options open and you can um, help to to resource us to continue walking alongside these youth and families. So.
0: Well, that will be my prayer that some people watching, something in them clicks and they say, that is God's nudge to me. So that that's gonna be my prayer. So thanks so much for sharing and giving us these open doors to you guys are doing. Thanks Thank so much. You. Good. Glad you could listen to that. There was video component, but it, it didn't uh, work for this morning, so thanks for hearing Jenny, and we'll, we'll have to have her again. So uh, our final guest this morning, I'm going to welcome uh, someone I've met recently. Edwin Canfield is a local musician in Vancouver, and I've asked him to come And share with us a little bit this morning. Welcome, Edwin. Yeah, the mask can come off. Thank you, yeah.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I got so many masks that have to come off. (laughs) That's
0: (laughs) right. Well, uh, just just tell us a little bit. Who are you and a little bit, anything you want us to know?
4: uh, I was born in New Westminster, and then six weeks later, I ended up in Germany. My father was in the military, and uh, I ended up joining up myself. on my father's side of the family, my grandfather researched the history of uh, my father's lineage and it goes back to the round table where there was a Sir Canfield that was a friend of Sir Lancelot's. And on my mother's side of the family was Scottish. But my great-great-grandmother from my mother's side of the family married the Iroquois chief. So I have Iroquois chieftain's blood in me. and. Uh, and it's been a hassle over the years because in early years of uh, schooling uh, I had in grade two a yardstick uh, smacked over my head and broken and told to go home and get a haircut and not come back until I did. And uh, so, and then grade five the teacher stood me up in front of the class and put bobby pins and ribbons in my hair and called me a little girl and I got strapped like five times that day for swearing at her and being insubordinate. That's my history as far as my native roots and my uh, Caucasian roots are concerned. Uh, there's not much I can say that John and uh, and uh, Jerry Jerry uh, Red said, uh, but I will expound on it a little bit. Uh, what I've written here is, the church should be engaged in the reconciliation and healing of indigenous peoples by apologizing for what the church has done along with the government. This is the genocide that was so prevalent in history, the use of smallpox to kill as many indigenous people as possible, and today we have the murdered and missing women and the highway of tears. The loss of their rights to unceded territories and also their rights to have their own spirituality and mental health and forcing them to believe in Jesus Christ is so abominable against what the gospel teaches us. This must change. The loss of language and culture is at its heights and is a blemish on our own records. The Church engaging in the healing of these abominations, whether our own denomination or someone else's, is necessary to stand in the gap and bring restoration and healing. What goes on in many reservations because of all the abuse and PTSD is houses fall Because of all the abuse and people falling apart, no plumbing or water. This in conjunction with drunkenness, addiction to heavy drugs, even incest and rape goes on in these reservations. We as a church and hopefully other denominations who start and take part in the healing process by doing land acknowledgement in the services can reach out and participate in the healing process by just listening to the stories and, and comfort the abuse and pray for them. The churches for all the abuse that went on in the residential schools may never admit they're wrong, let alone reparations or apologize for allowing these atrocities to happen. I believe it's time to act on their behalf and apologize for the damage done and the abusers' complicities in breaking the law without any accountability. If we reach out to the indigenous peoples and walk alongside them in their journey towards truth and reconciliation, we will see a stronger, more unified country willing to make reparations and bring about closure and healing. In closure, I would like to quote two scriptures. The first is 1 Corinthians 5 verses 12 and 13. And Paul says, uh, "What business is it of mine to judge those without the church?" And then in the next verse, he says, this "Is it not our business, not one person's business, but our business, to judge those within the church?" And uh, I think that that scripture really struck home with me a, uh, a lot um, when I, when I read. You know, Paul saying, you know, what business is mine to judge those without the church? It was so powerful it, the way it spoke to me. Uh, and then I'd like to read from Isaiah 58. Uh, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear and then your righteousness will go forth before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. So that that whole chapter is, is talking about the facet that the Lord requires, and that is one of service and and reaching out and trying to bring into the fold people that are suffering or have gone through any kind of pains or abuses or whatever, and uh, yeah. So. Thank you. So
0: good. Uh, you've written a song, you've written many songs, and we're going about to hear one of them, and we'll see a video that uh, was made and David has pulled it all together. Uh, anything you want us to know
4: about why you wrote this song?
5: Well, uh, I
4: wrote this song when Martin Luther King Jr.'s daughter came to Vancouver to speak at the Truth and Reconciliation March several years back. And uh, it was raining out, and uh, you know there was lots of people there, uh, 17 or more thousand people and walking around and just trying to bless each other and trying to comfort each other and trying to find out, you know, like, what can we do? And and that's another issue I'd like to bring about. I I live in the downtown east side. Actually, I live in Gastown and uh, uh, the far east end of Gastown. But uh, there are many ministries down there that you can get involved in. And there's... Uh, A couple of uh, indigenous uh, places you can go to to volunteer or to talk or to share or to listen or whatever. And then there's smoke signals on Cordova and Maine, approximately. And then there's uh, Street Church is another good place to go, uh, which is on Hastings, uh, just half, half a block down from Main Street, headed west and uh all these ministries are are reaching out to the indigenous people that are suffering as much as they are and you know the the relationship between the police and the indigenous people is is very uh very uh distant and harsh and there's a lot of stuff that goes on there i went I was working with spikes on bikes for two and a half years, which was handing out uh, clean needles and uh, d- different drug paraphernalia to stop the spread of disease and i I saved eleven lives in eleven in two and a half years. but uh just seeing over that time how the drugs moved. From there into the indigenous community and how how it was hurting the community and how many deaths there were and overdoses and just so much pain and you know like just constant grief and just going over that grief and, and just constantly raising it up and never getting to the point where you can say okay that's enough I'm not going to talk about that anymore I'm over it
0: yeah and. I think the way you've talked about it is is great, and you've written some songs. So let's now we're going to listen to reconciliation song, and you'll see it on the video as well.
5: For truth and reconciliation, time for the people to all come together. Business and love must rule upon this land. Children of all ages must open their eyes. For truth and reconciliation, life for the people to all comes together. Jesus and love must rule the this land. Children of all ages must open their hearts. Love is the answer, my friend. Knowing the power of the cross, time lays the anger and bitterness.
0: For that song. You're welcome.
4: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Let me just finish uh, with a few words and, and a final prayer. Uh, we've heard a lot this morning. We've uh, gathered live. We've gone a little bit longer <laughs> than normal, but uh, this has been uh, a significant time. So I think out of all we've heard, I've got two steps we can maybe take away. Step one, let's learn and keep learning. That's really what we can do. Uh, there's a community group resource we've I've put together for the week, so if you're in a community group, um, could you look at that and watch something and process that, and um, it'll be on the website as well, and the second step that we're going to invite you guys is to, we've heard of some different reconciling actions, whether joining a local ministry, Inner Hope, Ride for Refuge, um, Do you have something else you wanted to suggest? Yes, I
4: just wanted to say there's, uh, as it is National Indigenous Day tomorrow uh, in Crab Park starting at 11 o'clock. If nobody knows where Crab Park is, it's in the downtown east side. You go straight down Main Street over the causeway that goes over the bridges. There's a parking lot there uh, you can park in, and there's uh, celebrations all day starting at 11 o'clock. There'll be food, music. And just uh, people sharing in Native culture and uh, learning more about Native culture and, and just partaking in a relationship with them.
0: Yeah, that will be so good. It's a, I think it will be a particularly poignant one in our city and in our country tomorrow. So let's, uh, there is stuff we can, can find. Um, so some final words. I think Jesus meant it when he said, may the kingdom of heaven come on earth as it is in heaven. I don't think that was theoretical, and I don't think it was all about waiting for some future thing. He says, let's see the kingdom of God come, and it's all towards this end, which he said in Revelation. It's, uh, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, and people and language, standing before the throne and before God and the Lamb wearing white robes, holding palm branches in their hands, crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. This conversation is towards that purpose, so that all nations can come and be part of that. So as a word of benediction, May the Lord disturb you and trouble you. May the Lord set an impossible task before you and dare you to meet it. May the Lord give you strength to do your best, and then and only then may the Lord grant you peace. Amen.